Welcome to That Doesn't Work Anymore, the digital marketing podcast by Ad3. When you're looking to stand out online, the rules are ever-changing, and yesterday's strategies just won't cut it. Each episode, we'll tap into the brains of our in-house marketing experts, peeling back the layers of the latest trends, tactics, and strategies in 2024. But it's not just about what works, we're here to uncover what doesn't. Let's face it, in this fast-paced digital world, your business might be pouring valuable resources down the drain on outdated approaches. We'll reveal the pitfalls so you can save both time and energy for what truly matters. So buckle up, get ready to deep dive, and let's kick off the show that will revolutionise your approach to digital marketing. Welcome to That Doesn't Work Anymore. All right. Welcome to the podcast. My name is Chris Barr. Uh, I'm a programmatic media supervisor at Ad3, um, specifically representing Ad3 Connect, who we're here to talk about today. Uh, with me, I have Adam Ansoff, who will be speaking here in a moment. The two of us lead up a team, as I mentioned, called Ad3 Connect, and really what our team is focused around is predominantly programmatic media, but really just top of funnel um, awareness uh, in general. Ad3 is a digital agency, and in order to have effective digital campaigns or any advertising campaign, you do need a full funnel, and that funnel starts with us, with actually making people aware of the brands that we represent and the goals that we're trying to drive for a little bit as far as my background, I've been at Ad3 almost five years. I've been in advertising for closer to seven or eight years. It gets a little hard to keep track. Previously, focused more on the arbitrage side of things, but then been in the agency world at Ad3 again for close to five years. So we're going to get into a little bit of what programmatic is, how we use it, how we measure it, and then some of the trends that we see um, from our end. So to go ahead and get us kicked off, I'm going to turn it over to Adam to talk a little bit about what programmatic is, because that is a little bit of an ambiguous term to some. So we're going to try to dispel that and make it a little bit clearer for our audience today. So Adam, what is programmatic to you? Yeah, thank you. Thank you. Appreciate the intro. Uh, just going to give a quick background on myself as well. I've been at Ad3 for about seven years now and been in advertising for about 10 to 12. Started off my media career on the traditional side as a media planner and buyer. Uh, traditioned into a little bit of paid search and then realized that wasn't my thing and then fell into the programmatic world where I realized this is exactly what I wanted to do. Um, so I've been doing that for the past five years. I really enjoy it. And so to dive into what we consider programmatic, because yeah, as Chris, as you mentioned, it is a pretty ambiguous term. The way that we look at it is it's everything outside the walled gardens. So the most basic definition of programmatic is real-time bidding, just bidding within advertising as opposed to going through an I.O. So Google, Facebook are at their core programmatic platforms. However, when we discuss programmatic, we're really talking about everything outside the walled gardens. So we leverage many tools within our tool belt to access this inventory, including the bigger players, Trade Desk, DV360, Stack Adapt. We also leverage some other players, Quantcast, Adtherent, Simplify for more specific campaigns. And we, as an agency, we really try to be platform agnostic. However, there are certain platforms that just can do things better than other platforms or connect to certain inventories or audiences. 
and reach the people that we're trying to reach, or we'll reach our clients' campaigns better than others. So we have a really solid experience in which platforms are good at what. But yeah, so in terms of what is programmatic, I think to take a kind of a step back, it does include a lot of different mediums. So we're talking CTV, we're talking digital audio, such as Pandora, Spotify, iHeart, all of those fun things. Also including display advertising, online video advertising, native advertising. So really we're when we're talking about programmatic, it's a massive, massive field and a lot of breadth to it. A lot of strategy is involved. That's really why I transitioned from paid search to programmatic. Paid search was a very deep field, I felt, whereas programmatic had a lot of breadth to it and a lot more tool belt. So coming from a media planning standpoint, I was just a lot more comfortable in that space than I was in paid search. Yeah, I know you've kind of described it as the uh, like shiny new thing for a lot of clients compared to search and social. Because, I mean, I think everyone in advertising, for the most part, understands where search and social come into the picture. They know how they personally interact with it as consumers as well. But what's cool about programmatic is, as you said, there is just so much breadth to it, which I find exciting because we, of course, are positioned as subject matter experts. But the truth is, with programmatic, there is so much to it that you're constantly having to learn something new. There's new vendors. There's new ways to run it. There's new channels, um, even things like CTV and digital out of home. I feel like the industry is still really exploring and sinking their teeth into. So it's a really exciting um, channel to be in within the digital space. You know, now that we've kind of talked about what it is, I think the important thing to really move on to is how it can help. Because it's one thing to conceptualize what it is, but then how does it fit your brand? Or as a marketer, how do you fit it into your campaigns? As we mentioned earlier, um, this is the top of the marketing funnel. Um, And I'm sure we've all seen a picture of what a marketing funnel looks like. And that shouldn't be um, necessarily a new concept to anyone. But when we're talking about the top of the funnel, we're really the entry point in the consumer journey. Ideally, it's with programmatic that someone's first going to see or hear about a brand. Whereas something like search or social, um, there's a little bit more intent there. You've heard of something, especially with search, you know, you're actually physically searching for a brand or a product and trying to go make a purchase or learn more about it. Our job is really to make people aware of things who don't even know that they might be interested in something, or if they are interested in something, they've maybe never heard of your brand. So our job is really to get someone into that funnel um, so that they can learn more about the brand and interact across social channels and uh, hopefully convert, whether that be through search, social, or even through programmatic. I think the next interesting part of this is, you know, we kind of know where it is and where it fits into the funnel, but no campaign is one size fits all. So I think one of the challenges is figuring out how it should be used and when it should be used. So I don't know, Adam, are there any kind of examples or just general POV that you have on when programmatic is introduced to a campaign and how we use it, how we kind of address what channels we're going to use for a certain client? Yeah, I think that's a great question because it there's, there's a lot of answers to it, but I would break it down to three main parts. I would say it obviously depends on what your goals are, right? So if you're going for strictly brand awareness, because although we talk about being able to be the entry point and top of funnel, there are things you can do within programmatic to move people down the funnel with different strategies and techniques. 
but in terms of when we really want to leverage the different tactics, as I said, it comes down to what your objectives are. And then from your objectives, you can ascertain, okay, these are the tactics that I want to use. So for example, for brand awareness, we really want to dive into the heavy hitters, the, the CTV, digital out of home, and then audio are really great for this as they're they're really engaging creatives. So video, audio, and then also just making a splash on big screens such as billboards, transit advertising, things like that. If you have you know a sizable budget, can really make a big splash. However, the other side of it is when you're really trying to have targets or audiences that are extremely granular. For example, if you're really trying to target extremely niche audiences, such as like we have a client right now that is trying to target parents with lactose-free children, right? So a very specific audience, but there's a lot of techniques that you can use in programmatic to contextually target or find specific audiences to target that you can build through CRM lookalikes or things like that to really hone in on this very specific audience, something that the walled gardens and the simply algorithmic-based audiences um, just really aren't as successful reaching. Yeah, I think you bring up a good point there. And I feel like this has come up a few times recently, especially on the B2B side, where we are positioned as the awareness channel. But with something like account-based marketing, it's like we also have the ability to be the most precise of all channels outside of probably LinkedIn to reach accounts that B2B clients want to reach. So it's interesting that there is sort of that duality to uh, programmatic depending on what the client type is. Yeah. And as you mentioned before, and is why I call it the shiny toys department is because we have a lot of cool techniques such as, as you mentioned, account-based marketing where we can target, you know, company size, job, description, position, how big is the company, how much revenue they are, and then also do reporting based off of that. So like how many clicks did we get from the business vertical or how many conversions came from retail type of businesses. We can also upload, if your sales team has a list of companies that they're going after, you can upload those domains and really and hone in and make sure you're assisting your sales team with targeting those efforts. So that, that's just the tip of the iceberg on like the cool things that we can do. Well, yeah, and I think like what you just touched on there is a really key piece too, because especially as we're talking about channels like CTV, digital out of home, audio, I think in the past, a lot of awareness was done through traditional channels and it still is done. Like that's not mm-hmm. going away. There's still a lot of traditional media buying linear TV, standard out of home and radio. We're, we're buying traditional out-of-home as an agency ourselves because our clients are still interested in that type of media. Right, so there's still a need for that, but what's great on the digital side of things is our ability to actually measure and attribute those channels because, I mean, I'm sure you can talk quite a bit about your lack of faith in the measurement on more of the traditional TV side, whereas on the digital side, there is a lot more that we can do. Um, if we're just sticking with CTV and digital at home as an example, I mean, even just being able to track view through conversions, like someone actually seeing one of those ads, and obviously those aren't clickable experiences, but we can track to them to the point of conversion. And beyond that, we just have a lot of tools to prove what we all kind of feel is that awareness channels do have a 
major effect on the health of your brand and your campaign, but through things like attribution, being able to see what is that conversion path, did someone uh, interact with CTV and then social and then display and then convert, we're actually able to tell, okay, is our current mix a good one or should we be leaning more into awareness or social? So we're able to actually measure that a bit further down the pipeline to the point of conversion, which I think is a pretty crucial leg up on more of the traditional side of awareness. Yeah, and I agree with you. I think I just want to clarify that I know you're talking about being able to see if conversions are driven and things like that, but we do want to acknowledge that these channels, when you line them up against you know your lower funnel tactics, such as Google and things like that, they're not going to show the same revenue, ROAS, CPA. But what they will show is, because we've successfully run CTV campaigns where we ran it in specific markets, um, and then looked at you know Google Analytics traffic, comparing those markets to their national campaign as a whole. And we saw there was a huge spike in traffic to the websites in the markets that we were running CTV. So even though we weren't able to attribute you know clicks or we weren't able to attribute actual conversions, we saw actual website action and lift, time spent on site increase, a lot of incredibly great metrics to show that it was an effective channel outside of your standard platform metrics. So sometimes you're able to really see the effect of some of these channels if you get a little bit creative with how you're measuring things. Um, That's including things like brand list studies that I know that you and I have both run uh, many times for CTV digital out of home, that becomes a little bit tricky, brandless studies, because you you do have to have a minimum spend. And I know that sometimes these awareness channels, when you're first testing them out, you really want to see like, oh, do they work? So your spends might be lower. But I definitely encourage anyone who's getting into these type of channels that you do want to kind of be bullish on them. And we really want to enter things with a pretty sizable spend. So maybe you don't do a national buy, but maybe you do a one city buy, but you really want to make sure you have enough money to put behind it and really show that it's being effective. Because then you can, once you prove that out to yourself and your team and your leadership, it's much easier to move forward and, and make it part of your overall media plan. Yeah, and I think that's a really interesting point too, because I think we get caught in a certain way of thinking, especially with evergreen clients, that, okay, this is a national client and they run every month of the year and anything we test has to follow that same logic. But to your point, really, I mean, making sure that we meet those thresholds to actually have enough data, like meaningful data in a certain test. You know, there are ways you could do that by shortening the life of the test. Maybe that's a 60-day test instead of not 12 months. So you can make that budget go a bit further over a shorter period of time. Or to your point, maybe you focus on a certain market um, and use that as a proxy for what's going on in the rest of your campaign that you could maybe apply nationally if you know that test goes well and um, you get the budget approval that you hope for to expand uh, a bit there. The other interesting point I think you bring up there, it feels a little bit old school, but I think it's definitely not something to move away from. Outside of the brand study, you were talking about the site traffic for your client. Being able to understand what your current site traffic and how people interact with it before you go into uh, something like an awareness campaign is also important because, again, to your point, then you can really evaluate, has there been an organic lift in site traffic or a certain action on your site after we launched awareness channels? That is another way to 
figure out are our awareness channels actually playing a part in driving more people to the site? Because that's what we want. We we want people to go and learn more about the brand. As you said, our goal is usually not to drive conversions as a channel. It might be our goal as an account for that client, but we're trying to really assist the lower funnel channel. So if we can get people to the website and we can actually show that we've increased site traffic through an awareness channel, then that's also a pretty powerful way to show, you know, the effect of a channel like ours. And as we talk about all these different ways that we measure uh, things, I think one thing to note that's extremely important from the get-go is expectation setting for all parties involved and what are we trying to achieve and what are we trying to drive? Because there's been plenty of times where I've had clients that start CTV or different things because it's a exciting new channel. And then they look at the you know the line items and they see, oh, it's not driving conversions, it's not driving revenue, or it's not driving clicks. And then it gets cut. And then you're like, well, that was fun a couple months. But really setting those expectations up front on what we're trying to achieve with you know the site traffic or even things like we can with Universal Pixels with our different platforms, we can set uh, specific conversion events that say source equals Google, right? So if you're UTMing all of your Google ads, we can show, okay, someone saw a CTV ad and then they went and did a Google search and they came through one of our Google ads. So it's just, it's it's these things that everything is very directional because I think one of the issues that we have in just the digital marketing space in general is that we've become too reliant on the truth of the data and taking everything as like, this is exactly what's happening when in fact everything is extremely directional. So what I mean by that is that, you know, we're showing conversions, we're showing revenue and things like that, but we're showing revenue, Facebook showing revenue, Google showing revenue, and then you have your internal Shopify, like whatever platform you're using is showing revenue. So obviously on your end as the client, the Shopify or your website, like whatever revenue you're showing is your point of truth as what is, are we being effective? Is that line going up? And, you know, all of the platform revenue, while it's all directional, it's showing, okay, we are being a part of the path. We have used attribution tools like Campaign Manager 360 and Seismic, which I think is now Amazon Attribution. Um, But these things we can leverage to try to have a more center, you know, kind of point of truth, look at different attribution models, look at, as you mentioned, Chris, earlier, the conversion path. However, like as I mentioned, this is all very directional. It's not going to align one-to-one to what your actual sales data is, but it is going to give you an insight into what channels are being effective, what channels are part of your conversion paths. So I guess to bring it all home, is all part of ex- expectation setting. None of this data is the silver bullet, but everything gives us a better insight. And as we, we connect things and we learn things, we can just make sure that the dollars that we're spending are being effective and we can kind of understand as we pump more dollars into things, oh, are we hitting diminishing returns? Should we move things to another channel and things like that? Yeah, and I, I think that's a really important point about the data being directional. I don't know how many calls I've been on and probably you have as well where the client asks why they're not seeing programmatic conversions showing up in GA, which of course that's all post-click and we're running a CTV campaign. We're not going to get any clicks. So yeah, it's really important that you nail that home from the beginning, establish those KPIs and really 
Yeah, it's directional. We're trying to show how um, different channels interact with one another, um, trying to formulate strategies, make optimizations based off of this. But if you're looking for one-to-one, how many conversions does programmatic drive, then I think you're kind of looking at it the wrong way. So I think that's all very uh, eloquently put and definitely very important from the point of inception when you talk to a client that you set those expectations right from the beginning so there's no confusion later. There still might be confusion, but at least you've said your piece from the beginning and try to establish those. Yeah, I mean, if you are in a situation where you just need to show that you're driving conversions, then we can run retargeting all day and that'll kind of get those KPIs. But sometimes if all you focus on is retargeting, you get into what I call, and I'm trying to coin the term ROAS death spiral, where you just continuously focus on your high ROAS tactics and then you're not feeding the funnel so you're hitting the same people over and over and over again and you're suddenly not you're not growing your business anymore and all of a sudden a couple months down the line since you're only focusing on the same people who have already purchased your products or already converted you're you're going to end up kind of going down this death spiral of like okay our performance is going down why is it going down why is the same tactics not working it's because you're not feeding the beast you got to feed the beast well, and in some cases, that retargeting list might evaporate altogether if you put a lifespan on it. Like, I don't really want to retarget someone who visited the site a year ago, so they're probably not in my retargeting list anymore. So if you don't keep filling that retargeting pool, there is no retargeting pool to use. Yeah, and I think I think that gives us a good kind of segue into what you wanted to talk next about current industry trends. Um, because retargeting itself is going to get very interesting with the overall deprecation of the cookie. I know that Chrome is the last bastion of cookie targeting on browsers, Safari and Firefox have already gotten rid of it. So, you know, I know internally and I know across the board, everyone's doing what they can for testing for cookie-less audiences and everyone's trying to find their own IDs to continue to do retargeting and things like that. So real quick, just to cut across you then, what would be some of like the main ways of testing um, cookie list targeting because there are a couple options that we have to get ahead of this. Yeah, I, I think we should both kind of go through the things that that we've tried. But I know like the simplest option is contextual targeting, so just not even targeting based on audiences anymore, but just based on sites and what kind of you know context thing there. And we and this is something we already rely on pretty heavily, especially like as you're aware in the healthcare industry where. HIPAA laws and you can't even you know do really strong audience targeting. So contextual has been around. It's it's not anything new. It's the least sexy kind of option in terms of cookie list targeting, but it's it's probably the one that is most known and kind of the most tried and true. I think on top of that, it's just testing out so many different platforms are coming up with their own kind of internal IDs or different ways to access. The cookie-less inventory, like I know we work with a platform, Quancast, who has really delved into cookie-less targeting, and we've tested there, and we've seen some pretty solid results. But they're very much a pixel-based audience, so they're already not targeting third-party audiences or anything that relied on cookies, so they have their own kind of ID that they're using. Um, to, I guess, dive a little deeper there, I know that they kind of came up having a huge variety of second party data with being partners from the publisher side with all of these different publishers. So the, the way they get their data is very much different than than you know using cookies and third party. But it's it's really just exploring 
different partners and data partners that have made their data cookie lists, which right now, because it's such a hot topic, there's a huge plethora of vendors. I don't know if you, there's any that you've worked with recently that you want to mention. Well, I mean, Quantcast is the main one from that standpoint. Your point returns us back to a little bit of what we talked about earlier with the tool belt and why it is so important to work with multiple vendors and multiple platforms as well. Because a lot of these platforms like Quantcast are working on their own solutions to get ahead of cookie-less targeting. I know you spoke both to contextual and the Quantcast side of things. I think from the contextual side of things, we've tested a few platforms like BidTelect, for instance, who they use it in their relationships in a different way to do contextual targeting. But like Quantcast, I feel like where their strength was, was getting ahead and making those direct relationships with publishers so they could actually collect data through their um, through those relationships as opposed to relying on any third-party cookies. Yeah, as far as platforms, it's really been Quantcast and then been testing contextual across every platform. And I think this is a good time to just quickly call out a distinction when we're talking about contextual versus behavioral. This is probably old news for a lot of people listening here, but really when we're talking about behavioral, it's targeting our target customers no matter where they go. And contextual is predicting where we think they're going to go. And the main ways we do that are either through category targeting. So someone like Integral Ad Science will have categorized much of the open web uh, to say, okay, this site is a healthcare site. So I want to target that entire category. Another way of doing this is through keyword targeting. So specifically targeting any site that has relevant keywords on it. So to kind of put a bow on that, really, I mean, like you said, cookie-less targeting has really been contextual and then some machine learning as well on the Quantcast side. I think the other thing that we have mm-hmm. mentioned a little bit mm-hmm. here that also um, we've been testing quite a bit is using client first-party yeah. lists because those are coming directly from a client CRM. Those aren't using cookies or, or anything like that. These are unique identifiers specific to the people who interact with uh, your customer, your client site or with your site if you are an advertiser. And we are able to build uh, both lookalike audiences off of those to find new uh, users who have similar characteristics to your current customers or current leads. Additionally, we can retarget those in, from your CRM to re-engage those who haven't become full-on customers or even upsell current customers to a higher price plan or whatever you're looking to do there. So CRM is still a very important tactic, especially as we uh, approach the cookie-less future. I think that's a fantastic point. And I just want to piggyback off that and that just first-party data in general, it seems to be a, a huge investment for a lot of platforms, specifically talking, you know, Trade Desk and Critio is what I've seen are really leading the charge and not using just your first-party data from your site, but also leveraging their partners' first-party data, specifically retail first-party data. So in a lot of our retail clients, CPG clients, we're able to tap into via Trade Desk and Critio, um, leveraging you know Roundell, Target, Walmart, Albertsons, Dollar General. So we can tap into these partners at Trade Desk and leverage their first-party data, their sales data, and really you know, target people who have bought X product, brand purchasers, and things like that. And even if you spend a certain amount, they can even, in terms of measurement, like share sales data, like how much sales data did you do at their stores and things like that. So um, it's a really interesting time where things are really shifting into leveraging these really 
strong first-party data sets from companies out there that are willing to share them with advertisers. Yeah, I, I think that's a great point. So yeah, I, I think cookie list testing is really one of the biggest things we're focused on right now, but there are a few other industry trends we've been following for a while and really trying to test on our end as well. They're not necessarily new things to the industry. I'd say we've been kind of talking about them for the last few years. If you were to attend any conference or a webinar over the last few years, if it wasn't cookie-less targeting, it was about a few channels in particular. And really what I'm talking about here is we're going back to talking about awareness channels. It's the channels that have always been more considered traditional becoming digital. So the specific three I'm thinking about are digital out of home, CTV, and audio. Um, I know we talked a little bit about this earlier with more on the traditional side of things. I think everyone understands where they fit. They understand as a consumer that they listen to audio, that they watch TV, they watch movies, um, and they see billboards ever. I think what a lot of people don't understand is now a lot of that is bought digitally. And as we mentioned earlier, it is more measurable than buying traditionally. I think this is something that we've really pushed for with our clients is testing these channels, especially when we can put forth a strategy that connects something like CTV to the mid or lower funnel with, for instance, retargeting people who have seen your CTV ads and then serving them a clickable experience. So really, again, these aren't new to 2023. I'd say it's been two or three years, maybe longer that we've been talking about these things, but they remain very important to us to continue to test with any client. Yeah, it's been really, really interesting to watch the development of CTV and digital out of home, because I think digital out of home now is where CTV was like at the start of the pandemic. It's still kind of the wild, wild west. Everyone's trying to figure out how to do the measurement. Um, there's a consolidation of tapping into the inventory, but it is still like functional where CTV before the pandemic hit was still, as I said, was trying to figure things out. But I think the pandemic itself, I find this extremely fascinating sped up the technology and the usage of CTV by probably about two to three years. Because when the pandemic hit, as everyone knows, like sports in general were just cut, right? And like they just weren't being able to play. So what that meant is all the advertisers that had bought upfront advertising um, for the year on all their traditional TV channels were suddenly all of the ratings that they had bought on these sports programming just disappeared. So there was just a lot of frustration, a lot of angst around having to buy these upfronts, having to spend all this money to buy things for the year when they realized like, oh my gosh, this stuff could just disappear at the drop of the hat, but we're like agreed to these buys. So I think a lot of that really spurned a lot of advertisers, like the big budget advertisers to look for better solutions. And because that money started to come down the table, like all of these platforms really realized like, oh, we need to invest in CTV. And so everything got so much more sophisticated in the last like three years in CTV and just much quicker. And I think at this year, if I'm not mistaken, is the first time that streaming devices have outpaced like cable TV um, subscriptions are watching. So it's really something that's both a push on the advertiser side as well as the consumer side in terms of adoption. So it's extremely exciting time for CTV and digital out of home. I do know that because um, we've talked with a couple of different out-of-home companies, you know, Lamar, Clear Channel, and things like that, where they're actively trying to transition all of their best viewed 
boards from static to digital to really take advantage of the programmatic opportunities because they, they realize just when it's easier to buy things, especially programmatically, they're just going to get a lot more potential dollars. And you can have six advertisers on a digital board compared to the one that you have to, you know, change out every couple months. Yeah, definitely. Well, actually, something I thought about as you were talking about CTV, I think it's also like advertisers got to go where the consumers are going to. I mean, let's just think about sports, for instance. Like sports have always been a huge avenue for advertisers. But maybe this is more personal to me, but I know it applies to you as well. Um, Sports like soccer, for instance, MLS is now behind the Apple paywall. So that has to be CTV. All European soccer, English Premier League, that's behind the NBC Peacock paywall. For most sports outside of, you know, your NFL and then MLB, which is still crazily behind local networks, uh, everything else is on. I mean, you really need to access those major sports through CTV or YouTube TV. Yeah. NFL Sunday ticket package now. Yeah. And most people are watching Netflix instead of watching, you know, eight, you know, ABC on cable every night. So you got to go where the consumers are going. So I think that kind of ties up the industry trends and looking to kind of put a nice bow on everything we've talked today. Maybe we can just leave the audience with the top takeaways that we think that they should have uh, as they're looking at programmatic and full funnel campaigns. Um, I'll just go ahead and start here. I think, and this applies to not just programmatic, this applies to all digital media and beyond but always be testing. We've talked about a lot of different things here today, different channels, different targeting types. Don't put all your eggs in one basket if you can uh, forgive the cliche. You really do need to spread yourself out. Make sure you get that testing budget and are always testing something. One, you don't want the campaigns to go stale and you always want to have something new to offer the audience or your uh, advertiser rather. But the other thing is too, just because something works for one of your clients or for one campaign doesn't mean it's going to be the best thing for another. So always test new vendors, test new audiences, test new channels. That would be my number one chief takeaway uh, that applies to every client, really. Yeah. And I think um, outside of expectation setting, which I think for me is probably the just if anyone took away anything, I think that would be the main thing when it comes to programmatic is making sure you're setting expectations. And that's important for testing too. Yeah, it's important for testing. But I think in terms of making sure you're set up for success for all of these new channels is making sure that media and creative are not siloed, but really are talking to each other and you're making sure that your creative team is doing, you know, what they do best and creating really great and engaging ads, but also making sure that the media team is involved to making sure that the creative team is within the guidelines of best practices. So like CTV, please don't give us a five minute CTV ad. Please make sure, you know, 15, 30 second, make sure you have your logo early. Like there's a lot of like suggestions that the media team can have for these different creative options um you know digital out of home don't plaster 20 words on there we're not trying to create a wreck we really want to make sure that we're following you know traditional billboard kind of guidelines but just making sure that those conversations are happening i think really will set everything up for success and help with make sure that when you set those expectations that you can meet those expectations because 
Um, creative definitely does drive strong performance and then mixing that with a strong media plan is what we've seen be extremely successful. Yeah. And I think to that point, it it really drives home. There's no one size fits all like with any client or any campaign. It's a collaborative effort. Like it takes two way communication. We have to learn the client and really know what their goals are, who they are, what they're capable of. And we need to arm them with every bit of knowledge that they need to create like you said, effective ads that really will yeah. work in the media that we suggest. So programmatic, um, while best at you know top of funnel and awareness, can assist with the rest of the funnel, um, whether it be driving traffic to your site or ultimately helping drive conversions. Um, but as, as Chris mentioned and eloquently put, there's no one-size-fit-all tool. Um, so really just make sure that you're, you're taking your objectives and you're using the appropriate tactics to reach the objectives that you're trying to reach. Thanks for joining us today and listening in on our conversation about programmatic media. I'm Chris Barr. I'm Adam Ansoff and really enjoyed sharing everything with you guys and hope you have a great rest of your day. We hope you've enjoyed this episode of That Doesn't Work Anymore. If any of the topics we explored today left you hungry for more, reach out to us at ad3.com forward slash contact. Stay tuned because we're gearing up for another exciting episode of That Doesn't Work Anymore. Thanks for joining us. Until next time, keep innovating and keep rocking that digital marketing game.